Hello. Um, well, I want to introduce myself again. My name is Colin McNulty. And uh, in Kansas City, I'm known mostly as the guy that married Sarah Troyer. Um, and I am just beyond honored and thankful to be here today. Um, and personally, I've benefited so much from this church body um, because you guys are like heroes in Sarah's story. And uh, it's just, it's really, I feel like you've given so much to me because each one of you are a huge part of uh, making my wife who she is. So I'm really excited to be here. I'm originally from Rhode Island. Thank you. I'll leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've lived in Kansas City for the past 10 years. Um, Sarah and I are on staff. We are, for those who aren't familiar with what IHOP is, I'm not here to teach you how to make Belgian waffles or uh, big stacks of pancakes. We are the International House of Prayer. And for the past 17 years, our ministry has had a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week uh, prayer meeting that's been happening. And our prayer meetings are a little bit like what we did last night, uh, where we combine worship and prayer together with live worship teams. And so um, I have the privilege to get to, A, uh, serve the Lord in Kansas City full-time as a worshiper and intercessor in the prayer room. So half of our uh, assignment as missionaries is to serve the Lord in the place of prayer. Um, there are missionaries that go to other nations, and there are missionaries that pray. And we are kind of on the praying side, although the Lord has opened up doors for us to occasionally put our feet in the places that we're praying for. Uh, additionally, I serve uh, training our worship teams at our music academy. So I'm excited to be here with you. And um, I do want to say at the beginning, if, if you're wanting to connect with us and hear more about our ministry, um, we're going to have our ministry liaison, also known as my mother-in-law, Deborah Troyer, uh, out in the foyer with a... Uh, Sign-up sheet, just take your email. We're in the area uh, a few times a year, and we'd love to connect with you next time we're here to share with you about what we're doing. So without further ado, let's pray and then open our Bibles. So, Father, we come this morning thankful. Lord, as we pause and remember who you are, that you are our Father in heaven. God, that even before a word is on our tongue, you know it all. You know what we need before we even ask. You know us so well. Lord, I thank you that you know every need, practical, emotional, spiritual, in this place. Lord, and you are desiring to meet us this morning. And we just invite Holy Spirit, into this room, where we acknowledge as we open your word that, Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. You promise to help us and to remind us 
of the things that Jesus said. So as we look at your word today, I ask that you would do that. Come and speak to our hearts as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Now, I'm not going to make you talk to me too much, but somebody tell me Matthew chapter 6 is part of what famous portion of Scripture? What's it called? The, what is it? The Sermon on the Mount. Okay, good. So you've read it before, I hope. If not, hopefully this inspires you to read it. Um, so I want to talk today about strengthening our prayer life. And, you know, this weekend we talked a lot with the worship team and a number of you from the church and really emphasized some of the how to pray. And we, we had some real practical things that we went over. And how we pray is important. But today, I want to take up a more important subject than how to pray. And it's the who of prayer. And mainly, what I mean by that is who God is and who we are to him. It's our conviction that the knowledge of God, knowing God, is what provides the fuel for our life of prayer. All our songs, all our requests, find their foundations in who God is, and therefore, who we are to him. Do you know that there are many methods of prayer that have nothing to do with Jesus? You know, if you, the Bible speaks a lot about meditation. But, you know, if you Google meditation, you might find things that have nothing to do with Jesus, the Bible. But, you know, Buddhists meditate. New Age people meditate. Muslims pray. But our prayers are fueled by the fact of who it is that we talk to. So today, as we talk about this, I want to look at some of the things that Jesus said about prayer. So I'm going to give a brief overview of some of the things Jesus said about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Now Jesus gave five exhortations in the Sermon on the Mount about prayer. And each one of his exhortations was centered around the truth that God is our Father. I'll briefly highlight them to you. The first exhortation is Matthew 5, verse 44. Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That means pray for those pesky Patriot fans. <laughs> pray for us today. Okay, back to, back to the word. Sorry. I knew that was going to come out. He said, pray for those who persecute you. Why? Look at this, verse 45. Matthew 5, verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. The revelation of God our Father is, and what he's like, because it goes on to say he does this all the time. Jesus prayed for the people who put him on the cross. 
in light of your Father in heaven, copy him and pray for those who persecute you. In Matthew 6, Jesus gave two exhortations, which we'll look at briefly. And then last, uh, most famously, he gave the Lord's Prayer, which starts with what? Our Father in heaven. And then he ends this last exhortation in Matthew 7. He says in verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask. So Jesus taught on prayer, but couldn't separate it from the revelation that God is our Father. So I want to look at the two, uh, in Matthew 6, the two things Jesus starts with. First, Jesus says in verse 5, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now if you read that real quick, you might get nervous. Especially if you came to that public prayer meeting we had last night. You're like, oh no, I enjoyed that. And people saw me. I I knew I was a hypocrite. The issue is not that people see you praying. Jesus was seen praying. Jesus prayed in front of his disciples. He encouraged us to pray together. The issue is not, do people see you? The issue is, are you doing it in order to be seen? And like much of the Sermon on the Mount, this really just cuts to the heart. Because Jesus is reminding us, prayer is first and foremost about who you're praying to. And if you're in it to be seen by God, it doesn't matter if anyone else sees you praying or anyone else considers you a man or woman of prayer. Okay, then Jesus moves on from the subject of being seen in prayer, which, by the way, have you ever thought about that? It says, and when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father in secret. And your Father who sees in secret. I mean, think of the last time you were alone and prayed. Maybe it was this morning before church. You know, you, maybe somebody saw you from a distance, but it still counts secret, or you were in your car, and the Lord actually saw you. You know how many bad bedheads the Lord must see? (laughs) But just, I mean, when, it's not, I don't think it's just figurative. The Lord actually sees. He looks down from heaven. The revelation that God sees us empowers us to pray when no one else is looking because we know God sees us. Okay, then Jesus moves on from being seen to this issue of being heard. 
Look at verse 7, Matthew 6, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So, it's not just the hypocritical religious person, which we don't have anybody here that actually wants to be that person, do we? I'm like, ugh, I don't want to be that guy. None of us do. But it's not just that person Jesus doesn't want us to be like. It's actually the unbelieving Gentile who prays. It's not, in other words, it's not just why you pray, what's your heart motivation, but Jesus actually cares how you pray. And the Gentiles here, their confidence in prayer came from how long their prayers were. And and in Jesus' day, the Gentiles were actually pretty religious. They were unbelieving. They didn't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they would work themselves up in religious fervor. They had temples. I mean, when you read the book of Acts and you kind of like, you know, the, when Paul's in Ephesus and the gospel's going forth and it starts to threaten the silversmith's trade and they all gather and like work themselves up into a riot and screaming. I mean, I picture like, it's not just, uh, you know, they didn't care. They prayed. They just didn't actually know who they were praying to. And their confidence that their prayers were heard was in how long they prayed in their contribution. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can place our confidence in how earnestly we pray. Not to say earnest prayers is bad, but is your confidence in your words? And I think this phrase here, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. I mean, we're a part of a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week prayer ministry where part of our occupation is to stand and pray. And we use a lot of words. And maybe you've gone to a lot of prayer meetings and, you're ho- and you read that and you think, I hope, I hope it doesn't like come to just a heap of empty words. I think that's the last thing I want my prayer to be is just empty words, just words. And so the question is what keeps our words from being empty? Or in another sense, what gives our words meaning when we pray? And to answer this, Jesus contrasts the Gentiles who think they're going to be heard because of their many words with the children of God who God knows what they need even before they ask. Jesus' exhortation reminds us that prayer is first and foremost about who we are praying to. And Jesus makes it very clear. This one that you are praying to is your father. The fact that God is our father 
gives our prayers, even the most simplest prayer, profound meaning. We don't need to work ourselves up or prove ourselves to God or earn our acceptance. I mean, he knows what we need before you ask. It's like, guys, you're not praying to inform me. I know you're my child. I think a, a kind of analogy that brings this into focus is the difference between a tenant and a child or a son or a daughter. Now, my wife and I, we, we rent out our basement in our, in our home, and we have an agreement with uh, the woman who rents our basement. And you might be familiar with this. You might have a similar one. It's called you pay rent, you get to live here. <laughs> you keep up your end, we'll keep up our end. <laughs> your key will still work. The heat will still be on. But from the outside, it almost could seem like she lives there and it's her house. But her access, her confidence to come home every day is based upon her work, her contribution. Now contrast that with Lily. Even before Lily was born, she had a right, an ownership, an inheritance in our home. And once she was born, it became very clear, this child <laughs> owns this home. <laughs> I mean, but it, the contrast is because the tenant's confidence comes from what they do. The child's confidence comes from who they are. Now, we all know we are children of God. But I think that where our confidence truly lies is exposed when we're struggling. It's easy to pray when you've been on the like spiritual high. You went to a conference and you know you had a good track record, a week of praying every day and reading your Bible, and there's nothing good on TV. <laughs> and you're just like coming before the Lord so confident. Father, here I am. But then you have one of those other weeks where you're not doing so well, where you're aware of your, your own personal weakness. Maybe you lost your temper. Maybe you fell into temptation. Maybe you're just discouraged and struggling with believing the truth. Or you've been busy and you didn't give yourself to prayer. It's in those moments where we either come to God in prayer as we are, or we shy away. And why do we shy away? Not because he's changed, not because suddenly we're not children of God, but our confidence was not in who he was and who we are to him. Our confidence was in our performance, our track record. And I think and I, I'm saying these things, I hope you know, from lots of surveys that I've taken from other people who struggle with these things. Think about that. <laughs> who believes that? Okay. One of the stupidest reasons, and I hope that's okay to say in church, not to pray is because you haven't been praying. 
But how many of us come to the Lord or don't come? We come timidly or we don't come at all because we feel like, oh man, I'm like so unspiritual. So I'm not going to do the one thing that could make me more spiritual. I'm disqualified. Or you go to church or you go to a prayer meeting or you sit in your closet and you spend that first half hour, maybe the whole time, just bartering with God. Okay, Lord, like, okay, I'm signing back up. Not that signing back up is bad. But, you know, like, okay, I'm going to read my Bible like three hours a day. Okay, three hours and 15 minutes. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this up, give that up, and oh, man, I really got to just, uh, 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 and you're just really just like trying to earn your place at a table that you're already seated at. And so knowing who God is and really seeking to know who God is, because we all know up here, but that little journey to our heart, that when we pursue that, and part of the way we pursue that is we come boldly when we blew it. There is no probation period in the kingdom of God. It's not like, oh, you blew it. Jesus' blood takes about three weeks to forgive you of sin. Come when that time period's up and we'll start talking again. No, like we can come, we can say, I repent. That was stupid. Forgive me. And come as a first-class citizen. And so that's part of how we grow in our confidence is we keep coming. But when we do that, when we seek to know who God is, two things happen. One, we run into the revelation of who we are. Because when you start to understand God as a father, you get the revelation that you're a son and you're a daughter. And secondly, this gives us confidence in prayer. Romans 8, verse 15 through 16 says, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, when you receive the spirit of adoption, you know what happens? You become an intercessor. You get a prayer. And the prayer is a cry, and it's really simple. I'll read it again. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. When you're born again, you become a child of God and inside of you, that little seed starts crying out, Abba. It's a prayer. Now I can think of no greater demonstration of this reality of, of what confidence in prayer looks like because of knowing who our Father is than Jesus. Just give you a few examples. John 11, verse 41. Jesus is standing before the tomb of a dead man. And he lifted up his eyes. The dead man was Lazarus. He lifted up his eyes and said this, and when you hear this, think, do you pray like that? Who prays like this? Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you have always heard me. But I say that on account of the people standing around, that they may believe you sent me. He's like, God, I know that you heard me. 
I don't even really need to say that, but I know there's other people listening and I want them to know that you always hear me. Like, who has that kind of confidence? I don't have that kind of confidence when I pray for a, a cold. He's at the tomb of a dead man and he knows when he prays and he says, Lazarus, he's coming out. Matthew 26, verse 53. Jesus is in the garden He's being arrested. Simon Peter grabs his sword. He's like, not on my watch. And Jesus rebukes him. And he says, do you think, do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father? And at once he will send me more than 12 legions of angels. Jesus is like, I could ask right now and get like the armies of heaven right here. That is confidence in prayer. Okay, so where does, where does Jesus go from this? He tells us, don't be like a hypocrite. He tells us, don't be like the Gentiles. And then he says, do this. Pray then like this. And it's probably the most well-known prayer in the Bible. But I think it's significant that the most well-known prayer in the Bible starts with worship. And it starts with that agreeing with who God is. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And so, let me check here. I've got about an hour and 15 minutes left. <laughs> I'm on Kansas City time. I hope that's okay. <laughs> I just want to focus in on, on just those two words and, and talk about some of the implications of that. So first, the, the word there, our Father, reminds us that prayer is not just personal. Jesus didn't say, pray then like this, my father. He said, pray then like this, our father. I mean, prayer is very personal to us, but Jesus here is in saying, pray together. And probably the clearest picture of what corporate prayer, and as if you were with us at all, Yesterday, you might start to get the vibe that we, we kind of see worship and prayer as two sides of one coin. It's, it's hard to separate them. Because the revelation of who God is, we respond in worship, in agreement. And then what God wants to do, we respond in agreement and we ask him to do it. It's like two and the same. But heaven is probably the clearest place where we see with worship and prayer what it, what it looks like. And it's this reality that it's not just one guy in heaven praying before the throne. It's like, and the throne of God, and I saw around it Paul. Everyone else was backslidden. <laughs> no, it, there's a company. There's you know, 12, uh, 24 elders, there's angels, there's innumerable angels, there's the saints. It's, heaven gives us this picture of what 
where we're going and where God is leading humanity is in the context of his family. And God wants the family all together. You know, they say heaven is the ultimate family reunion. But what do we do in heaven? We talk to God. We pray together. We worship God. Do you know worship is not just warm up for sermon? And talking to God is not just something you do until he gives you what you want. I mean, how many people here are are parents? Okay, now probably a large part of your relationship with your kids is them asking you for things. Okay, We're, Lily can't really speak too much, but she's already working that prayer muscle. Mm, mm. But how much joy does it bring to your heart when your kids just want to talk to you? It's not a warm-up for an ask. <laughs> I'm a youngest child, so I'm very familiar with the warm-up for the ask. <laughs> but when, we live in this unique time period right now where we are joining with the great intercessor, Jesus, and we're asking him to do things that really are only going to apply to this time period. When Jesus returns, the earth is made new. We'll still talk to God, but we won't necessarily say, God, save those lost people because there will be no lost people. God, heal this disease. Oh, wait, all the diseases are healed. So, but that doesn't mean in heaven we don't talk to God. We don't agree with what he wants to do. And long after every disease is healed, every injustice is made right, we will still worship. This whole thing is going and to a corporate, eternal, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Let your will be done. For the countless ages, we're going to partner with God's will. So prayer, both now and forever, is a corporate reality. It's in the context of together with all the saints, as Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, that we can understand the fullness of the love of God. And this also reminds us that Jesus loves the whole church. Jesus prayed, John 17, and said, I don't pray for the world. I'm praying for those who believe in me and all who will believe in me through them. Jesus loves the whole church. And I, I want to encourage you, one way you can agree with him in that is to pray for the whole church. Pray for the church in your city. Pray for the people that you're like, man, I went to that church. They're crazy. <laughs> pray for those guys. Okay? So first, our Father. We're reminded that prayer is corporate. Secondly, we're reminded that we have the same Father that Jesus had. Now, I grew up, uh, I'm Irish, I'm from Northeast, so like I came out Catholic, you know how that works. Um, my parents went to church, but my parents split when I was 12 years old, and I did not have a strong uh, father example of what a godly dad was like. Um, 
many things I honor and respect about my dad, but I just didn't get, um, I didn't have that godly example from him. I had a lot of other things that I needed to weed through. I became a believer when I was 21 years old, and I, I think I probably knew I had some father things to work through. When I moved to Kansas City, though, I suddenly met people, you know, like, like my wife or like Joe Pistone. It's fun to be at a church where people might know about that. Or, or another one of my close friends, David, they, they had these amazing godly parents and specifically a godly dad. And I was like, what's that? Like they'd call each other and pray. And the dad would like encourage him with a Bible verse. <laughs> and I was like, I never got that. And I remember feeling as a young man trying to figure out life and who I am and why I'm still single, you know, all that stuff. Like, I remember thinking, man, I really missed out. And man, I wish I had a dad like David. Oh, I so want that. And I remember when I read this in that season and I heard Jesus say, our father. And I realized, I mean, David's dad's awesome, but I get to have the same dad that Jesus has. If there's anyone's relationship you want to envy, it's Jesus and the father. And Jesus tells us, hey guys, you get the same dad. That goes for you. If you grew up with a godly, amazing dad, I'm sorry. You got a better one to lean into. He's the perfect father. He's the father from whom every family is named. Just a, a couple verses. Ephesians 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That's the God that we get. The father we get is Jesus' father. And Ephesians 3, verse 11 through 12. If actually there's one verse outside of the Matthew ones to, to take and meditate on and pray this week, this would be the one. It says, In Christ our Lord, we have boldness and access to God, implied there, to God the Father, with confidence. We have boldness, access, and confidence. You know, it's one thing if we just get access. That's amazing. But how many people know you can get like a backstage pass somewhere and still be totally freaked out? <laughs> you know, like, oh my gosh, <laughs> whatever it is, concert or, you know, big event where there's famous people and you got the backstage pass. You have access. You can go anywhere, but you're probably not going boldly. You know, every year at one thing, we have a big conference and my wife has helped uh, guest speakers. And so we have access backstage and, you know, there's a level of like, okay, we can go anywhere. We get our food, but it always shocks me when the speaker's kids are there. They don't have a pass, but they are so bold because they're like, yeah, dad. <laughs> like, where are you going? You can't ride that. 
It's boldness, access, and confidence that we have through our relationship with God. And by the way, that doesn't change when you wake up with bad breath, you don't want to pray, you blew it the night before, you're, you're like, that's who you are as a child. You know, if you want to get access to a world leader and Maybe you can work the right relationships and get in the room with the president. Get in the room with the king. But did you know the child of a king can go to that king at any time and be like, dad, 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 because of who they are. Okay? And so the more that we get to know who God is, the more we are transformed to be like him. It's impossible to keep looking at him, keep coming to him, and not be changed. And the more that we're changed, the more that what we want lines up with what he wants. And this gives us great confidence in prayer. 1 John 5 says, this is the confidence we have towards him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If you get to know him, if you get to know what your father is like, which is the supreme privilege of humanity, the angels look at what we have and marvel. Like the angels sinned and God let a third of them just perish. One man sinned in the garden and God sent his only son so that we could have access to God as our Father. So, I'll, in closing, you know, oftentimes people think, well, God knows what I need before I ask him. Isn't he kind of just being a little demanding that he still makes me ask? Can't we just show up and be like, you know. <laughs> so, but if he knows what we need, why prayer? And I think the heart of our father is he knows what we need, but he waits to hear what we want. And when your child wants what you want, you're like, oh, let's do this thing. You know, like you come home and your kid's like, I just really want to bless mom today. Do you think we could make dinner, do the dishes, and like send her out to get her nails done? And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah! James says, you know, you ask but don't receive because you ask amiss. You ask according to your sinful desires. But when our desires become his desires, prayer becomes partnership, not just duty, not just a checklist. It becomes an exciting partnership. Uh, I think a great picture of this is the blind Bartimaeus story. Just really for this one phrase, but you know the story? Jesus is passing through. Blind men are like screaming, have mercy on us. Everyone's like, chill out, chill out. And Jesus stops them and he calls them and says, what do you want me to do for you? Do you have a revelation of the God that pulls you aside 
and says, what do you want me to do for you? It's not just what, what ought you be asking me right now. What do you want? Okay, Matthew 24. This is going to be my last thing. Matthew 24, Jesus is prophesying. And he's talking about a future time when there's going to be destruction in Jerusalem. And in the middle of this kind of like intense passage, he says something weird. He says, pray that your flight will not be in winter. And pray that it won't be on a Sabbath. Now he's talking about this time in Jerusalem when people are going to have to flee. And he's prophesying, it's going to happen. And so we can have this approach that goes, well, it's just going to happen. It's going to happen. God's going to do what God wants to do. What do we have to do with anything? But Jesus actually says in the middle of it, pray. And why winter? If you had a choice to flee Erie, would you want to do it now? Or would you rather do it in construction season? I mean, spring. (laughs) Right? And I think that speaks of God has this thing in his heart that's like, I want you to partner with me. And I want to know what you want. And I am like the God of who knows. And the Sabbath. Who's affected by the Sabbath? It's not the Christians. It's the unbelieving Jew that's like, I'm not leaving. It's the Sabbath. I know if it was the Sabbath, I'd be like mounting my horse or my car or whatever work I had to do to flee. And so I think about that. I think of this invitation to prayer, to partner with God our Father. And it's not what ought we to do. I mean, it is. We ought to pray always. But the bigger question is, what do you want me to do? You know, and I I like to imagine the day when I stand before God, together with all the saints, we gather before that throne and we lift our voices in song And then suddenly, from the back right, comes this really obnoxious Rhode Island accent. And I'm like, wow, that's strong in this place. And I look at God, my father, and I'm like, why? And he looks at me and he's like, you wouldn't stop praying for them. They made it. There's more of those guys here because you prayed. What is it that you want? Prayer is partnership with your father. And so as we close, I just want to give that invitation to you. Do you. I feel like the Lord is saying that to this church body. Guys, it's not a duty. It's a delight. It's a privilege. Do you know the place at the table you have? And the question isn't how, how do I check that prayer box, but what do you want God to do? What do you want to see God do in this city? And be bold and ask him for it and don't stop until it happens. So Father, let's just, let's just go ahead and, and, and stand if you would as we close. Father, we thank you that you always hear us. Lord, you are not just the God who hears prayer. You are the God that answers prayer. Lord, and we just say today, yes, we want to partner with you, God. Let those things that burn on your heart burn on ours. 
Lord, I ask that you would increase in our lives this revelation of you as, as Abba. God, that which your son's blood purchased, that we could be called sons and daughters of God. Lord, let us, let that revelation go deep. Lord, where there's been pain and brokenness, let it permeate. God, and we just say yes today to partner with you in prayer. Lord, I ask, Lord, that we would just be so lost in who you are that prayer was not just what we did, but who we are as a people. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you want us involved. We give you the glory and the honor today in Jesus' name.